For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. The reading today is from Luke 9, it's verses 28 to 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Carrie. Uh, This is the last Sunday in Epiphany, uh, and Epiphany is this long season where we look for uh, Jesus in new ways, where we look to see Jesus in new ways. And so Transfiguration Sunday is uh, always the last Sunday in Epiphany. And this text is, I think, one of the most beautiful and weirdest texts of all time. And maybe you learned about it as if, you know, Jesus sort of, this was the time where, like Superman, you know, he revealed who he really was. Uh, Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter, you know, blah, 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 the Daily Planet, uh, and he just disguised himself as Clark Kent, but really he was Superman. And I want to say that if that's your understanding of the transfiguration, then that is one of the heresies that it took 500 years to overcome in the first five centuries, that Jesus was not just disguised as a human, that he really was a human, and he was divine. And in some beautiful way, the incarnation shows that humanity and the divine are forever interconnected in a way that can never be separated. And so we're going to dive into this. And uh, normally we do a ton of all plays. We probably will do some all plays, but we'll do less all plays this week. Uh, because there's just some teaching that I think needs to happen. But here's, here's what I want to do, right? So uh, if you have a question that comes up into your mind, yes. Uh, we're doing great. If you have a question during the sermon, I want to invite you to email that question to me, okay? Any question, doesn't matter. And then what I'm going to do, so you have to email it to me by noon tomorrow, but if you email it to me, then... During the podcast, I will actually add to the podcast at the end. We just don't have time to do it during today. Uh, But if you email me the question, I'll take that question, I'll respond to it, and then the podcast will include the sermon, but also the responses. Sound fun? Sound good? Yeah, like Lori laughed, like, yeah, sounds fun for us, maybe not for you. 
Uh, that is fun for me. So, so let's do that. So uh, if you're going to understand this text, because it's so weird, you have to go back a few verses to Luke 9. So this will come up on the screen because this is, this is the context that I think sets up this whole set of verses. So Herod, he's the ruler of the Jews. He's been appointed by uh, Rome to rule the Jews. He's uh, incredibly abusive and uh, he's essentially uh, power hungry and he's nervous about who Jesus is, who John the Baptist was. So when Herod the ruler heard about all that had taken place, and this is the teachings of Jesus, the healings, he was perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist, who Herod beheaded, had been raised from the dead. And what, that's who Jesus the Christ was. Uh, by some people said Elijah had come back, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. And that's who Jesus was, because he was doing such powerful things. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? It's Jesus. And then we read this, and he tried to see him. Now, I guess we are going to do an all play. If you're the king and you want to see someone, what do you do? You summon them. And what does that person do? So if you wanted to see him and you're King Herod, what would you do? So I'm going to argue this is a different kind of seeing. Here's the paradox that I want to try to unlock today. Uh, Jesus appears to everybody, but not everybody can see him. Jesus appears to everybody, but not everybody can see him. So here are the choices that I'll put to you if you want to see Jesus now. And I think these are the choices that Luke was trying to get people to choose as well. And this comes right out of the text. But question number one, if you want to see Jesus, will you remain asleep or will you become fully awake? Question two, will you remain where you are or will you allow dialogue to lead you to depart from where you are. Question number three, will you worship God in a structure you have created or will you enter into what God is creating now? So we're going to be here till at least seven. Uh, so let's go back to verse 32 and you can... Look at this on your phone. You can open up a Bible in front of you in the Pew Bibles. It's out of Luke 9, verse 32. Or if you had a scripture sheet that was handed to you, you can grab one of those. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. <laughs> so it's like, in every important moment, why are they so sleepy, right? <laughs> It's like, what is this? Jesus in the garden, they're going to fall asleep later on. This huge moment, they're going to fall asleep. So apparently they're working super hard and they're, they're not getting good sleep. Maybe they have little children at home, who knows? Um, but really, a better translation uh, than, um, but since they had stayed awake, is this phrase, when they became fully awake, they saw him when they became fully awake. And I would pronounce the Greek word for that, but it's way too hard to pronounce, and I wrote it down in its pronunciation, but I still am not going to be able to do it. Um, 
So there's a story of Thomas Merton, the great Catholic saint. Well, I guess he's not. Is he a saint? I don't think he's a saint yet. He will be. He was walking around in Louisville, downtown Louisville, Fourth and Walnut, and this is what he writes of of this experience. He said, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people that he saw just walking around, that they were mine and I was theirs, and that we couldn't be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. He's talking about all the separation that we try to see among each other. But then this sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and was such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I had the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if all the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it can't be explained. There's no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. So in this moment of waking up, Thomas Merton saw that every single human being carries the divine spark, every single one. And the only invitation that's necessary is a breath in. Because God is already there. So if you're going to see Jesus... You know, some of those weird things that Jesus says, like, you know, if you've ever offered a cup of cold water in my name, you've met me, or, you know, you meet me when you, when you meet the poor, and we say, okay, now I have to go, you know, work hard and meet the poor, versus, like, oh, I could actually meet Jesus, like, anywhere, in another human being. <laughs> That's how it works, right? And so we don't, like, how do we see God? Oh, my gosh. Just look around. And I'm not saying that we are not God. I'm certainly not the center of the universe, though at times I pretend that I am. But God is somehow inhabiting me and you in such a way that if we could see it, we would see our faces shining like the sun, like Greg read Moses was. Part of what this text is saying is that we're all walking around with veils. But if we could just pull them off, and if we could just see each other, we would see that we're all shining like the sun, that we're all sons and daughters of God, and we're all, um, God inhabits us in a way that is utterly transcendent. So question, will you wake up to see that God incarnate means that human and divine are forever interconnected, and there's no one that you lock eyes with that doesn't contain the divine within them. Now, that's easy when it comes to, like, Lachlan, you know. But, like, when it comes to the person that you're having a hard time forgiving, the person that maybe um, is making it, to have a hard time forgiving you. What does it mean to see them shining like the sun? I'll say that it's not pretending. Oh, I'm just going to see them as God sees them. 
It's noticing whenever you have a feeling of judgment of yourself and others. It's noticing that and having that be an opportunity to return to the reality of what they are and what you are. And that's waking up. Oh, God, I forgot. I forgot for a moment. Please help me wake up. And then God might give you a gift of waking up. Moving on to the second question. Suddenly, verse 30, they, the disciples, because they stayed awake, uh, they saw two men, (laughs) Moses and Elijah, of course, talking to Jesus. And they appeared in glory and were speaking of Jesus' departure. That word is exodus, interesting, that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So what does it mean that, I guess we are doing some wall plays, what does it mean that Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah on a mountain? Just throw out some guesses. What does that mean? He's like them. Jesus is like them in their tradition. And what were they like? Say it again. Just like him. Thank you, Will. They're human leaders helping people see the divine. They both met with God on mountains. Thanks, Greg. They both led very troubled lives. Thanks, Joe. We're the same as them. They exist out of time. Because they're Moses and Elijah. They're dead, right? I mean, this is the first century. But then there they are. How about some ladies in the room? Hearing a lot of male voices. If they're dead, Becky asks, and yet they're a part of everything that is, are they really dead? Or do they live on? Yeah. Ooh, Linda. So she said, isn't this right before he goes to the cross? Yes, it's very near the time that he's about to enter in Jerusalem and be crucified. Doesn't he need some support? Whoa, I've never thought of that, but I totally, yes. There's another way of, or, and, there's another way of looking at it, and that's saying, like, Moses represents the law, because he brought the law down from the, temp, from the mountain. Elijah represents the prophets, because he's sort of the prophet that's always being talked about. And there, there's Jesus talking with the law and the prophets, and they're having a conversation. What are they talking about? His departure, his exodus, this new exodus. And then at the end of the story, it's just Jesus. So there's a way in which you can interpret that as saying, when we are talking about people's liberation, the new exodus, and when we're talking about what does the law and the prophets say, what does the Bible say, it's really important to have a conversation with Jesus and what he said and says alongside what the Bible said and says. Does that make sense? Like, wait a minute, but Jesus is in the Bible. Okay, so this week, I was following the news about the United Methodist Church and their vote, right? So 
case you weren't following, United Methodist Church, second largest Protestant denomination in the, in the world, 12 million members, pretty liberal, progressive, mainline denomination. And they were having this special assembly to sort of try to figure out a way forward with gay ordination and same-sex marriage. And so um, there was a bunch of different options. One option was essentially the one denomination has three streams where if you want to be in the stream that doesn't allow that, that's fine. If you want to be in a stream that, that mandates gay ordination and um, same-sex marriage is okay, that's fine. Or if you want to be clergy choice, church choice, that's fine. But it really, in a surprising uh, turn of events, they voted to strengthen the ban on same-sex marriage and openly gay ordination. And compassion leads me to believe that those who voted for this probably did so out of a love for and fidelity to what the Bible says, right? Or what they think the Bible says. But compassion also leads me to see that on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see the living word, the Christ, the living word, going back and forth with the law and the prophets in dialogue, and they're speaking about a new exodus. So my question for our brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church and in our own denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is can we dialogue about this the way we see Jesus dialoguing with the law and the prophets about a new exodus, a new liberation? Or will we insist that we are right that our tradition and our interpretation is right no matter what. That what the Bible says, or the Bible appears to say, is what it is for all time. I'm going to invite us to consider that dialogue is better. Amen? Is it painful? Does it take seeing in a different way and listening? But can we do that? I think we can. I think it's possible. And don't limit it to LGBTQIA inclusion. Expand it to the people in this church who hold different political opinions than you do. And many, many other things. To see Jesus as he actually is, is to see a liberator of people. And it it strikes me as so insane that we who follow the liberator of people who always seem to get in trouble (laughs) by hanging out with the wrong people have a hard time. And this is all of us, right? So just pick your hard people that you want to exclude. We all have them. We have a, a line in the sand that we say, well, everybody's cool, but not these people. And I think Jesus the Christ, in inhabiting this new space where the divine and the human comes comes together, is inviting us to see beyond um, our tribal structures. So that goes to the next set of verses, verse 33. Just as Jesus, just as they were leaving him, that's... uh, Moses and Elijah, so they're, you know, they're, they're done with their conversation. They're heading back to Starbucks or whatever it is that they hang out with when they're not hanging out with Jesus. 
as they exist out of time. Just as they were leaving, and Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. And thank God I was awake for it. <laughs> I love Peter. You have to love Peter, don't you? Gosh, he's so great. He just says it. And then he goes, I have this idea. Let us make three dwellings. Tabernacles is, is the word for dwelling. And that's, remember, in tabernacle is what the Israelites used to house God when they didn't have a temple. They were moving from place to place. So a tabernacle is where God dwells. So, hey, man, this is amazing. We got three people up here. We got three heavy hitters up here. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Let's make three tabernacles. This is awesome. I got it. I'm going to do it right now. Let's go. And, and, um, and then it says, not knowing what he said. <laughs> which is a translation for, oh, sweetie. <laughs> you know? While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. So now we have a differentiation between the tabernacle and the cloud. So Peter wants to make the tabernacles for these guys. And that's just like, hey, we want to create a denomination that we can hold our new beliefs, right? The UMC is going to do this. There's going to be a whole new denomination that's going to spring out of this. They can hold their new beliefs. And that's going to be maybe a good thing, but it's going to be a new tabernacle, right? Tabernacles are fine. A church is a tabernacle. A denomination is a tabernacle. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a temporary dwelling place for God. And that's fine as long as you understand that it's temporary and that you can't imprison God in that shelter. Amen? But you'll, you're always going to do this. It's normal and you need it. Like you need something to hold stuff. It's okay. It's okay to have that tabernacle. It's okay for Peter to say, let's make three tabernacles. <laughs> The question is, will you allow yourself to follow God where God is going? Thank you, Will. God continues. See, the thing is, like, it's not about putting God in a box. You're going to put God in a box. That's the only way you can understand God. The question is, will you allow that box to be broken over and over again? If God is infinite, if God is mystery, then that must be true. But it's so tempting to want to keep him in that shelter. Uh, and, but what's fascinating is, is like in Exodus 24, Moses goes up on the cloud. And so, so what the cloud is, uh, Moses enters the cloud and hears God's presence in the cloud. But how a cloud, well, let me ask it as a question. How is a cloud that's terrifying different than a tabernacle that you can make and tear down? You can't contain a cloud. Thank you. They didn't make the cloud. Thank you. It's hard to see inside the cloud. Thank you. Cloud is unpredictable. Snow, sun, rain, ice. So we're being invited into the cloud, into the presence. Back in Exodus, only Moses was invited. Only Moses went in there. On the Mount of Transfiguration, three dum-dums named Peter, James, and John get invited in. <laughs> Not dum-dums. 
The point is, it's always expanding. Always. That's the trajectory. Who gets to be in the presence of God over time continually expands. That's how it works. That's what Jesus shows us. So the question is, will you be satisfied worshiping a God who remains in a human structure that you have created? Or will you choose to enter into the cloud, the formless shape of what God is currently creating? So wrapping up the three questions I started with, will you remain asleep or will you become fully awake? You can't try hard to become fully awake. You just have to notice when maybe you've fallen asleep and forgotten that everybody's face is shining like the sun and return to, to reality without judging yourself or them. Will you remain where you are or will you allow dialogue to lead you to depart from where you are? So will you enter into hard dialogue that might invite you to change your mind? Or will you stay? That is your choice. Last question, will you worship God in a structure you have created, easy to do, tempting to do, or will you enter into what God is creating, the cloud that is unpredictable? Not everybody can see Jesus, although Jesus appears to everybody. But if you choose to wake up and choose to enter into dialogue and say, what don't I know and what can't I see? And if you choose to abandon the structure that you've created that worked really well for a time, but if you'll choose to abandon it, I think the chances are pretty good you'll see Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world. Amen. Amen.